Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for, and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I, of course, cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners, and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions, because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show, that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. I hope everybody can hear me this morning and is staying warm. Um, Join this morning. I have a couple of guests this morning and we have a very aggressive outline and lots of things to cover for this morning's show. So we're either going to be talking really fast, gentlemen, or we're not going to get to everything today. Uh, But uh, joining me this morning um, is my brother and fellow advisor at McNamara Financial, Justin McNamara. Good morning. Morning. I'm usually hosting the the, the 10 the, the 10 a.m. show at CAP, so I have to readjust here. I know. So well, 8 a.m. start time. Yeah, it's an early start time, but it's nice to have it done, and you still have most of the day. So, yeah. yeah so Justin and I we've switched up the format of the show a little bit. Justin and I are going to be hosting together um, for a while, several shows. So uh, we're changing up the model a little bit, but um, all good. Thank you for joining us. We also have uh, uh, another recurring guest. Peter's been on the show with us several times. We all have Peter Mullen of American Consumer Credit Counseling. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, Alyssa, and good morning, Justin. It's great to be here with you both. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. Peter's been on the show. It's got to be three, four, or five times now, right, over the last several years. I would say um, so. A couple times a year. Yeah, and I always appreciate your expertise. You know, you have your wealth of knowledge and, you know, anything really personal finance, but I always appreciate your expertise surrounding credit and, you know, things that I don't know as much about as you and um, credit, ways to improve credit and credit scores and all that stuff and how to check them. So we're going to get into that a little bit today. But we decided um, to do, just sort of start the year off by doing a broad um, 
I don't know, a financial basics type show. And, and I think I, I was saying off air that I think I was inspired by, uh, because we're in the early stages of planning for the Smart With Money Fair at the Marshfield High School, which is going to be at the end of March this year, I believe, for the seniors. Um, and we were just starting to plan for that. And I, and I think I was inspired by that stuff and the, and the things that we go over with the kids. Um, and so our outline for this morning or the title of our show is, um, what you should have learned at 21, but were probably never taught. And we've talked about several times on the show that, um, there, maybe it's getting better. I hope it's getting better, but there's a lack of education, um, for, for young adults, uh, in the realm of personal finance. And so, you know, some of the things we do and, um, smart with money fair and, and other outreach that we do. And I know the outreach that you do, Peter, for ACCC, mm-hmm. um, we're trying to change that in whatever small way that we can and, and teach young people the importance of being financially responsible and starting that at a young age and how much better you're off later in life, et cetera. Um, so that's what we're doing this morning. All right. What you should have learned at 21, but we're probably never taught. So sort of a broad um, starting the year with some really important stuff and maybe really basic stuff, but, um, hopefully we'll, um, I don't know, hopefully we'll, we'll get some nuggets of wisdom out there and things that people didn't know yet. So, um, go ahead. Do you have a question, Peter? Yeah. I was just going to say what I would also just suggest to the audience. This is great for parents who are raising their kids because a lot of times in my experience, people will talk to me at this very point, they're 40, they're 50 years old. They say to me, oh, I wish I had learned this. Okay, yeah. you still can, number one, you still can. But don't to take this lesson to talk to your teenagers, to talk to them. So you pass on the knowledge. So this is, you know, that's a great opportunity for you to do that. Absolutely. And here, how about a little plug for our podcast? So mm-hmm. if you do have um, adult children or young adult mm-hmm. children, and maybe they're not listening to the show today, but um, mm-hmm. our podcast is available on any podcast app. You can just search McNamara on money. And so they can listen to it themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you for that. Yes. All right. So I wanted to start off by like, I guess, talking about the importance of just paying attention to your finances. And I, mm-hmm. as much as I hate it, I will use the word budgeting today. I hate that word. Um, but I wanted to get into the importance of that. But like, just to start, I mean, if I think about, Justin, I want you to chime in here with this too. But like, if I think about the most successful. Well, can, we, inter- can, we maybe, can we maybe go uh, with a quick intro of, of what American Consumer Credit Counseling is? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I skipped maybe over that. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know you're, you're awfully familiar with Peter, but I am less familiar. And I'm sure the audience maybe. I mean, I'm sure he's a memorable guest, but I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure they remember exactly <laughs> what he does from from past shows. So I forgot to do that. Intro, Peter. Thank you. I forgot to do that. Yes. Do you want me to do it? Or are you going to do it? You want me to do it? Oh, I was going to say you do it. The, oh, yeah, so I, 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 yeah, you do it. <laughs> so I, I'm from American Consumer Credit Counseling. It's uh, located in Newton, but we really serve a national audience now. We're we're really growing in our outreach and our influence. Um, what I do, what we do, or I should say what I do is I'm, I'm both a financial presenter. I provide free financial literacy throughout the community and now more and more throughout states, all of the United States. I do webinars twice a month. And I'm happy to say just yesterday I did one. I had 25 states on my little webinar. Oh, nice. Making some, you know, we're getting our voice out there. The other thing that I do is provide free financial counseling and coaching to folks. Our organization as a whole is a nonprofit. And if people just, if they have the particular issue of credit card debt, 
that's one of the things that we do for to help us raise some of the funds to keep our business going. It's called a debt management plan. So that's it. Okay. Yeah. And how large is your organization? Like how many employees does ACCC have? We have just about 100 employees located here in Massachusetts, a few sprinkled throughout the United States. But with the with the um, the blessing of covid, it has uh, encouraged us to use more virtual means uh, to, uh, you know, open ourselves up and be really available anywhere and everywhere. So I have clients who might talk to from Atlanta, Miami, uh, Brooklyn. Um, it, It really doesn't matter location anymore. It's really just a matter yeah. of um, making a connection to us. And so a little note to any listeners out there, if you have any nonprofits or any 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 organization, even for profit, that needs financial literacy, that's that's the kind of thing you could call upon me to and us to work with you on. It's free. And I forget the, the I know you do um, make part of your funding is based on you helping people consolidate debt and things like that. But yes. are you also state or federally funded? Um, we will. We have some federal that comes okay. in HUD, like HUD, for instance, part of what we do. But the vast majority of our money comes in not through the consumer, but through what's called, it's a strange name, it's called fair share, which simply is because we are enabling consumers to lower their, their debt and get rid of their credit card debt, the interested parties on the other end are the huge, huge, uh, uh, credit card companies, Bank of America, American Express, who basically pay us to help serve it. Uh, okay. So the good okay. news is for the consumer, the bulk of this comes from the credit card companies who have no problem paying money. Man, they, they got trillions and trillions of dollars. So they give a small yeah. bit to us to facilitate the movement of money from the consumer back to them. So everyone wins. Everyone wins. Got it. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. Can we good with that, Justin? Sorry, I totally forgot. Yeah, I totally forgot enough. to good do enough. that. I didn't know um, a stranger when we you. were talking to you. Know? <laughs> <laughs> what what, are the, what expertise does this guy have? Um, I need your credentials. Um, I need your SAT scores, Peter, and then I need your resume. <laughs> um, okay. So um, yeah, I just wanted to talk about like. I wanted to talk about the importance of paying attention to your expenses, but Peter brought up a good, you know, uh, a, a good point. Like, start with why that's so important. So I was trying to think about who of the clients that I work with in our business, you know, who are the most I'm going to use the term most successful in terms of retiring. And, you know, that's that's hard to define. But I but what I mean is like that the what are the characteristics of the people that can retire when they want to retire, right? Some people want to stop working in their late 50s or early 60s. Uh, You know, some people have to work later, maybe not because they want, some people work later because they want to, but some have to work later because financially they have to. Um, But I I was trying to think about like, what are the, what are the commonalities, right, between these people that that are very successful and have enough money to meet their financial goals later in life? And I came up with like three um, categories of people and that, that are the most successful retirees, at least the, the clients that I work with in my business. And um, first of all, there are people that 
inherit significant amounts of money. And of course, then retirement for them is much easier, right? Even if they didn't accumulate enough themselves, sometimes people inherit significant amounts, especially, you know, at that age in life, 50s, 60s, et cetera. And and then retirement becomes easier for them. Um, Then there's also this category of people that just are, are lucky enough to make just a lot more money than they need, right? And they don't really need to pay attention to a budget or anything like that. They just are very um, financially successful, likely earlier in life or, or midway through life, right? They just make more money than they could spend. And, and then those people generally have successful retirements, right? Because they just save because it's it's just easy for them to save without paying attention. But the third category of people, right? If you're not lucky in those first two regards, the third category of people are, are people that just pay attention throughout their life. They, they set a budget for themselves. They pay attention to their savings targets. They pay attention to where they're spending their money and how much. And they, and they, you know, you'll hear that old term, right? Pay yourself first, right? They're safe. They're, they're setting savings goals and they're paying attention. And I can't think of any other category of people that are really successful financially when I think about retiring or I, I guess I could say, um, you know, sending their kids to college, right? Like th- those big financial goals, who are the people that are successful with it, right? And if I think about the average American that isn't going to inherit millions of dollars or that doesn't make way more money than they need, the way to be financially successful and, and, and achieve financial goals is to pay attention and to set, you know, itemize your expenses and set savings goals for yourself. Um, Agreed. I wholeheartedly agree with that one. Yeah, I, I just... I was going to say that it's the people who are most successful or, or, or I guess we'll say make it look, make it look the easiest in retirement mm-hmm. is people who have been, who have learned to live well within their means for most of their lives. Right. I mean, it's, that's, that's, I think that would be the commonality with me again, other than the, the two very small categories of you just make a ton of money and it's hard to screw up or you, or yeah. you inherit well, I mean, the, I, to be clear, there aren't that many of those people, but I think right. there are, you know, I would say the majority of folks probably can live within their means to the point where they're, you know, if you start early enough and save enough, you probably can make retirement relatively easy. Yeah. Peter, anything to add to that? Or, I mean, it's just, there's there's no other way to do it. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. There's a a lot to add to that. And let me just share a little (laughs) I told you Peter's a great guest, Justin. I was like, he just talks and talks. He needs needs a lot more time. So (laughs) let me just, a couple things. First, just to be clear and full disclosure, I have no clients that fall in category one or two. Zero. (laughs) Fall in category three. The yep. consumer definitely has to do it themselves and has to yeah. find ways to do it. So I think the starting keys, I think that you hit upon right now, you talked about paying attention. I'd put it a little bit differently and maybe just say same concept, which is to be aware. And a lot of folks, this is the fundamental issue that Justin hit on as well. You got to spend less than you make. It's yeah. a tremendous amount of people for, and there's lots of reasons. If we get into the psychology or anything else in this program today, there's lots of folks for lots of reasons who spend far more than they make. How do they do that? There's enablers, credit cards, getting money from other sources, not paying other bills that are due. So in a sense, they're living a fake, in a sense, a fake existence on the money. They're not being realist, realistic. So back to your point of, I would say, with awareness or attention, really the secret of all this starting today is for people to know what they make, know what they spend, and be motivated. Get the motivation there. 
to begin to make that gap, make the difference. You have to eventually either work more or spend less or do both. And then that difference, the money left over, is where you can start to make decisions from. So, yes, one of those should be retirement. But for the vast majority of people that I work with, it's just trying to live first, trying to pay your bills this month, get do certain goals, maybe start toward buying a house, car, whatever. Retirement is definitely there, but generally five, six, seven other things crowd out in front of it. Yeah. I, I do want to get into the psych. You mentioned like the psychology of overspending. And I think you just said you did a recent webinar on that. Yes. And I, I want to get into that today. Cause that's something that I haven't really, I don't know much about the psychology aspect of it, mm-hmm. but um, I think that like, I think a huge part of the problem and why a lot of people don't pay much attention to their finances is because it's overwhelming. Like, mm-hmm. you know, creating a budget and, and not just creating the budget, which is hard in and of itself, but like mon- monitoring it ongoing mm-hmm. is a ton of work. And, you know, I, you know, if I put together my own budget, right, there's like 25 or 30 different line items, right. And on, on, on a detailed budget, and it's overwhelming to, come up with all those numbers and it's overwhelming to, you know, record them month over month, but like as time goes on. So, I mean, but I think if you can, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on how to create a budget because I've done a whole show on how to create a budget and, 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 um, but I don't want to go down that rabbit hole too much today, but I do Mm -hmm. think like if people, I think there are ways to make that process easier and less, less stressful for people. And what I mean by that is um, there's a lot of things in, there's a, there's a lot of recurring expenses in your life that are, that are pretty much the same, right? Like mortgage Mm -hmm. or rent and property taxes and your Comcast bill and your phone bill. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's pretty consistent. Maybe it varies over time. And if you can kind of just put all that stuff together, right, all the recurring stuff and put that all together and, and, you know, come up with those numbers and and know that number in your budget, but you don't really have to pay attention to that month over month. You don't have to record that every month when, when you're trying to stick to a budget, because those things don't really change. Mm -hmm. What you really need to do is find out how much money you have every month for like your, your variable spending, or some people call that your discretionary spending. Although I would put like groceries and dining out as a variable expense, although it's not really discretionary, right? You have to feed yourself and your family, although dining out, of course, could be discretionary. But if you can like know how much is coming in the door after taxes from from your paycheck, or if you're married, you and your spouse, and then subtract out all those fixed recurring things. And then, and we got to talk about savings in a minute here. We, of course, can't forget that. But if you can like come up with an amount per month, that's your variable spending. That's really all you need to track, in my opinion. Right. Once we've defined our savings goals, we'll talk about that in a second. Um, we know our fixed, you know, essential expenses, right? Like the housing related stuff. Then everything else you can kind of group together, right? Your food, your dining out, your Amazon shopping, right? Travel, all that stuff. Like you only need to pay attention to like a subset of your expenses. So I feel like that makes it a little bit less daunting for people. Like, okay, what if I just, you know, pay all my bills from my bank account and everything else goes on the credit card. And if you can do that, then you're just paying attention to what was on the credit card that month, right? You don't have to itemize every single thing to really be successful and, and, and pay attention and make sure you're sticking to the numbers. So I find that's like a little bit 
of a relief for people. And maybe it's hard to come up with that number, but it, but ongoing paying attention to a small subset of what you're spending is a lot easier than paying attention to every single thing. Mm-hmm. And of course we need to talk about like for, for um, when you're creating when you're itemizing your expenses or when you're creating your budget or when you're going through this exercise of trying to figure out what can I afford to spend really the first, you know, I, I was talking about, you know, mortgage, rent, property taxes, all those essential expenses, but you have to put in their savings targets. You right off the top, what's going into the 401k. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we could, again, we've spent a whole show on how much should go, you know, savings targets. So again, we don't want to go down that rabbit hole today, but most people 10 to 15% should be coming off the top, right. To go right into their 401k, unless you have, you're in the pension system or, or unless you have, unless you're way behind or unless you're way ahead in savings, like that's just a good broad target for people right off the top, 10 to 15% should go to retirement. But then also what other savings, um, what other savings do we need to do? Like, do you have an emergency reserves account? Should I be adding money to cash? Do you have kids that are going to go to college? Should you be adding money to 529? So you got to take your savings right off the top and then you take your essential expenses right off the top. Those things that don't change and then hone in on what's left. And maybe all that stuff goes on one credit card and maybe that's what you pay attention to. So that's just, you know, I hopefully makes that exercise a little bit easier, but it's just so for the vast majority of Americans, again, unless they just are in that camp where they make way more money and they can't spend it. Right? It's not a lot of people. Um, and even a lot of people that make a lot of money, they can spend it. Right? Even even some of those people need to be paying attention. Absolutely. But the vast majority of Americans need need to know how much they can spend and there's there's really no way to do it until you unless you know what's coming in the door and you've defined your savings targets and you know what's left there's there's no other way to know how much you can spend um go ahead peter yeah so i i would just uh absolutely uh, agree with what you're saying and i would just unpack it a little bit maybe go back just a little bit yep. for, when someone starts a budget so for those that are new or not doing a budget today it, it really is daunting, as you said. It's, it's, mm-hmm. kind of, uh, it's kind of a lot to think about. And this is one reason why a lot of people don't do it. But maybe part of it is getting the right attitude about it. If you don't think of it as a chore and you think of it as you managing your money, I like various things like you're the CEO, you're the manager of your money. Mm-hmm. Business. What my world, my business is all about is a little different than you guys. I'm not helping people to invest their money. I'm helping them to make the most of the money they do have. So it's really all about starting with Mm -hmm. basics. You got to know how much you make. You got to know how much you spend. That's that's square one. A budget, forget the word budget. Just think of that as a record record of what you make and what you spend. The wisdom of this comes is through repetition. And to your point, Alyssa, that over time, yes, budget square one. I do a January budget. First one I ever have done. That's a little daunting. But by the time I do a February budget, a March budget, an April budget, at least once a month, the, a lot of the numbers that you talked about, the fixed, the fixed are pretty clear. Mm-hmm. You can get a spreadsheet to make it easy, do a spreadsheet for January, and then copy and paste it, make February, and then make the changes you have to make, right? There's far less change. Mm-hmm. Hey, the rent stays the same, for instance. Some things are fixed. They stay the same. Then there's the variable. So things like food is a good example. But, you know, even with food, if you pay attention back to what you said earlier, 
over time, as you continue to pay attention to things like food, you will start to know and plan on we spend $300 a month. How do I know that? Because I spent $300 a month in December, January, February, March. So what do I think I'm going to spend on food in April? Probably around $300. So over time, another value of budgeting is that it becomes predictive. It's not just guessing. It's predictive. And then when I have now better information, I'm more informed about what I make and what I spend. Now comes the harder part of making decisions. Should I be spending? That's not my job as a counselor to say that. It's for you to decide. From whatever goal you talked about having a goal, absolutely essential. Set that goal first. So put $100 aside mm-hmm. emergency fund somewhere around, you know, by the third or fourth time you've done a budget, stick 100 or 200 in account, pay yourself first. Then try to work out the rest of your budget. And over time, you will have a solid feel as to truly what your discretionary monies are. Now that I know each month, and I'm making this up, now that I know each month, I largely have $300 left over that's not allocated someplace, I can make a decision with the $300. $100 goes to emergency fund, $100 goes toward retirement, $100 goes towards the car one <laughs> But you can't get there until you've done all those first steps. Yeah. And I just, I was thinking like, I'm a fairly competitive person. So there is like, there's some satisfaction to this exercise too. Like Mm -hmm. if, you know, a month goes by and you hit you, you know, you hit the the goals, right. And you, there's money left over that month. It's like really satisfying. You feel like you won and I'm a super competitive person. So I'm like, Oh yes, I did it. And of course the opposite reaction, right. If you had a month where you spent more, but um, it can be quite a satisfying process too. It's like, you feel like you're winning. (laughs) It's a good place in your life to be winning. If, if you can do that. Well, Um, Alyssa, I I think that's the right attitude. I think that's your attitude is right. Yeah. Where you're intensely aware and you're intensely engaged in the process. Yeah. The very problem of a lot of the clients I have is they're unaware and they're not paying attention and they're yeah. fearful of their budget. They don't want to. They don't want to know it. When yeah. I, let's let's run your credit report. I don't want to see what's on my. Yeah. Credit yeah. I have to stop you right there, Peter, because I just noticed that we, we do need to take a quick break. Um, you're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined this morning, by, this morning by my brother and business partner, Justin McNamara. Um, you can find out more about us at McNamaraFinancial.com or McNamaraOfTheMerrimack.com. We also have Peter Mullen with American Consumer Credit Counseling. We're just taking a quick break, everybody. We'll be right back. This is Alyssa McNamara-Reed with McNamara Financial in Marshfield. Here's what people want to know about me. Are you a fiduciary? Are you independent? And thus, are your recommendations for me in my best interest? Are your costs reasonable? Can you help me with my money and making a plan for my future? Fortunately, the answer to all of those questions is yes. Call my office to find out more. 781-834-2010. And we're back. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Two guests with me this morning, my brother and business partner, Justin McNamara, and also Peter Mullen with uh, American Consumer Credit Counseling. Good morning again, gentlemen. Morning. Good morning. Um, we, again, I, we have an aggressive outline for the show, so I want to keep moving, but I, we got to go back to segment one. Even though we're in segment two now, we got to go back to segment one. Uh, we're talking this morning about 
just wanted to start the year off with some financial basics, right? So we're talking about things you should have learned at 21, but we're probably never taught. Um, We were talking about the importance of paying attention to your expenses. Um, And again, I hate that word, but uh, budgeting, itemizing your expenses, just paying attention. We we just want to talk... We were talking about how the most successful retirees uh, or the the people that are the most successful in achieving financial goals, whatever that may be, are the ones that pay attention and and generally write it down. Uh, Maybe not every day, but but in some recurring uh, pattern. So, Peter, you had mentioned that you did a was it a webinar webinar recently on the psychology of overspending? And that was really interesting to me, something that I don't know much about. Um, but certainly we live in a uh, consumer driven society, um, right? Where there's just, there's a lot of, I don't know, pre- pressures or mm-hmm. uh, satisfaction regarding mm-hmm. spending money and shopping and buying things. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm not judging anyone. I certainly um, am guilty of all that. Say, I and, hope not. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I have an Amazon delivery almost every day at my house. <laughs> um, Yeah. And, and so really, so what can you share with us um, in that regard regarding the psychology of spending money? Yeah. Well, let's, we, here's what I've, I've learned again, experience and doing work, working in this field for a good while, you begin to learn more and more insights, hopefully over time. And the insights that I'm learning more and more is I'm in the business of trying to educate people about how to budget, how to save money, how to lower debt, how do you do all the basic consumer things, improve your credit, right? So those are the basics. That's the education or the knowledge part of it. But what I've come to learn and see more and more, there's a lot of people that don't do those things, won't do those things, or can't do those things. Why? Because there's a lot of stuff behind them in their past, in the way they were brought up, in the way they view money, in the way that maybe, and I'm just giving examples, maybe their parents fought about money. Maybe they have a dysfunctional view of money. Maybe they're scared of money. I have a lot of folks who are deny, deny what they spend. They think that by not paying attention, back to your earlier point, they somehow magically just can continue to use their credit card and spend and don't worry about the implications of it. So what the way I see it is that a lot of people you know, just aren't really, like you said, paying attention. So what do they do? They overspend for lots of reasons. And I don't always know what they are. I can just say sometimes people overspend for status. They're trying to keep up with the Joneses. They're trying to, that's the important thing in their current life. They're hanging around people of which good clothes, jewelry, and good cars are really critical. So they're not really paying attention to can they afford it. That's not what they're thinking. They're thinking that I simply want it. Some people equate spending with self-worth and they start to think that I'm valuable as much as I accumulate and have and show and can show people and wear this nice latest watch. But that's not, if you think that way and you equate your self-worth with this kind of uh, exposure worth that you have, that's an issue. The, The reasons people spend are so numerous, anger. People spend out of anger, revenge. This happens with couples a lot, when, especially as they're getting toward divorce or any problematic issues. One of the ways to get the other spouse is to pay too much on your credit cards. So you leave them with a bill. So the, the kinds of things that people spend for, boredom um, or, or on something nice, they're generous. 
They like to give stuff to their kids and other people. The bottom line for all of these, these are things that are not healthy if you're not paying attention to what? How much you make and how much you can afford. So the what there's what I call enablers. The enablers are, and let's just pretend now you're making a certain amount. You make $5,000 a month. That's what you make. But you can, quote, fake out the income that you are making or pretend because the budget is supposed to be real. It's not supposed to be fake. And by using credit cards too much, you inflate, in a sense, what you think Mm -hmm. by having loans from friends or looking at family or getting money from your mother or getting money from you know, some other source, you, you are in a sense inflating, not what you truly make in a month. So those enablers give you a false sense of making 6,000, 7,000, 8,000. When you don't, you make 5,000. Quickly on the other side, on the paying side, you should be paying out no more than 5,000. If you make five, you should spend five or less, right? Mm-hmm. Logical, right? But what do people do? They get around that side by not doing a budget, by ignoring what they spend, maybe paying off certain bills. So by by delaying bills, paying less than minimums, by by um, ignoring their retirement, maybe by um, you know may, maybe even doing. I could even say on the negative side, fraud. If they take out credit or take, get something on installment, go to go to a furniture store and get two thousand dollars worth of furniture with no intent of ever paying it back, that that technically is fraud. So in a sense, they're, they're, they're inflating what they what they spend. There's, they're out of balance. So um, lots of ways to get them back into balance. Can, yeah, can let's let's back up a second. That's yeah. interesting when I didn't know where this part of the conversation was gonna go. Because yeah. we've, okay. we've that I've I don't know much about the psychology aspect of this and and I we hadn't really chatted much before the yeah. show and that's okay but I was just yeah. interested because I guess I kind of thought there was going to be um like I, I thought there was going to be like one reason why people overspend right but you rattled off like at least half a dozen reasons which was so interesting and they were all yeah. very different which yeah. make, which the more you think Absolutely. about it makes sense because everybody's different right so you had mentioned right. like some of the reasons that people overspend mm-hmm. one of them was like lack of con i, I would say that like lack of confidence right like if, yeah. if you're not confident self-worth. in yourself, you're tr- right. Self-worth, right? Like, yeah. so related mm-hmm. to self-worth and keeping up with your friends and neighbors, et cetera. So that's yeah. like one. Mm-hmm. Another one you mentioned was boredom, right? Mm-hmm. So like, right, yeah. right. The, the, I'm, I'm just stereotypical. Like I could think of my mom, for example, yeah. right? Like just out shopping mm-hmm. with the ladies and just for something to do. Right. Yeah. Um, generosity. That's another one that you mentioned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I think one of sort of the, one of the ones you said was related to denial, like just, denial uh, is a big one. I, I, um, you know, I, I don't want to know. I'm never, I'm never going to look, I'm just going to, you know, go, go through life uh, yes. without paying any attention. So was there, mm-hmm. were there any, I, I came up with those, yeah, four. I, were there I, any I, other big ones? I just said things like anger or revenge, oh, anger and revenge, I mean, right? They're, that's they're right. unusual, but yep. they are happen, happen a lot with couples. Yeah, uh, all the time, um, especially as they're facing a divorce or a foreclosure or any kinds of issues on the financial side. There's lots of reasons people um, do this, but that could not- also be like depression. Like you're in depression. a bad place, you're Absolutely. in a bad place in life, right? And it might make you temporarily so, feel better. So the counter for a lot of this kind of goes back to the way you started again. Now we've gotten a little deeper here, but you've got to start being. You said awareness. So I'll go back to what you said. 
But it's asking this question for your folks to start asking this. Why am I buying this right now? Yeah. And to stop for a second. One of my big heroes in this whole world, I've mentioned him before. His name is Trent Ham, H-A-M-M. Okay. He blog. He's been doing it for 25 years. He's a down-to-earth writer writing oh, cool. called The Simple Dollar. Okay. I encourage your listeners to look at it because everything that I, a lot of things I learn are informed by him and his down-to-earth stuff. Okay. So he uses an example of saying, while you're in the store, at the point of looking at it, and I, I'm picking on now uh, going to, um, you know, a big store like what's the Walmart or something. And I and I, I used to love, you go and see a big uh, five-gallon bucket of cheese balls, and you go, that looks great. Oh. And you never intended to walk in there and buy those. But something emotionally snaps in you, and you snap that that five-gallon bucket of cheese balls for 20 bucks, and you walk out the door. It's mm-hmm. a instant reaction thing. It's an emotional thing. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Mm-hmm. The, the secret of learning to manage things is if you're going to interject your brain into the process. Do I need that item? How does it fit with my budget? Does 20 bucks painted on a food, junk food fit? And yes, you have to have some sense of discipline, management, and so on. They all fit in. It's a, it's a larger thing than me simply saying or us saying, oh, just do a budget. Just stick to your budget. There's a lot more to it than that. So what I would suggest is there's yeah. lots of ways if people, again, you have to be motivated to do this can begin to make this happen. And so I can give some suggestions, not to leave this on a negative note, to help get rid of the denial and the fear and the, and the reasons why people don't do a budget is be a couple things is one, you get to know yourself better mm-hmm. be with yourself. And I'm not trying to turn this into some big psych thing, but the bottom line is if someone doesn't change the underlying habit that they have or the view they have of money, they will never do a budget and they will never get wealthy because they have to have it. They have to be the one in control of their money. If money controls them or if they ignore that it is, you know, that I have to manage it, they're not going to go anywhere. So be honest with yourself, start to be open and understand what you spend a budget, mm-hmm. nothing more than a record of what I make and what I spend so first, it's a record. But over time, as you look at it each week or each month, you start to make decisions. Did I need to buy, go out to eat and spend $500 in going out to eat this month? It's not until you see it in print, black and white. I spent $500 in going out to eat. Maybe you think, hmm, maybe that's not a good use of my money because I'm trying to meet the goal of putting on a down payment to a, a condo. Hmm, that's $500 I could have used over there. Right. You're in control. If you make the decision, do you want to go out to eat or do you want to put a down payment on a condo? It's, it's you beginning to mix and match and see in black and white what you're spending. That's the first step. That's the increasing of your your awareness. You're starting to head toward the goal that you're excited about. So hopefully, like you just said a little bit earlier, when you do, you get motivated and you get competitive and you get energized, I suggest people should get energized. <laughs> well, money, you well, want the gap. You I want think the gap. Part, part of the, it, it, yeah. it is um, invigorating to, yeah. like I said, you know, ha- have a, 
uh, have some success in the in the world yeah. of finance and and you know work toward meeting a goal. I think part of the problem is not a lot of people have goals. Right. Like how many people, right. you know, uh, there's a very small, I think, subset of the population that has defined financial goals. Yes. A lot of, of course, a lot of the people that Justin and I work with and, and probably you, Peter, um, have goals because we're helping them set goals and we're talking them through it. And those are the types of people that seek out a financial advisor or that's just what happens when you have a financial advisor. But not a lot of the people that we meet for the first time like have defined their goals mm-hmm. and, and even if, but even, or even if they have goals in their mind in terms mm-hmm. of, yeah, I want to retire someday. I hate my job or yeah. I, you know, I, I want to retire young, whatever, whatever it is, they don't know the numbers associated with that goal. It's mm-hmm. hard for them to come up with that on their own. Right. And mm-hmm. we, you know, help them work towards that. But I think part of the, of course, now, you know, understanding there's all these different reasons why people overspend, but I think I would add another one in there is that they don't know, they don't have goals. They don't know what they're working toward. They don't know the numbers associated with it. They don't know how much to allocate to their different goals in order to hit the goals. So there's no ability Mm -hmm. to have any satisfaction. Right. Absolutely. So, so I think, you know, maybe I didn't even know where this was going to go, but that's super interesting is that no. one of, one of the things mm-hmm. that might be able to help people get out of the pattern of overspending is to set some goals. Like I want to pay down this, I want to pay my credit card off in two years, or I want to get yes. out of this home equity line in four years, or I want to retire at 62, or I want my kid to go to, you know, UMass mm-hmm. and I want to be able to pay cash mm-hmm. for it. Like, you know, defining those goals. And then if you can't do it on your own, seeking out a professional to help you with the numbers might Mm -hmm. be a way for people to get out of these habits. And, and like you said, you know, in your Walmart example, like, no, I'm not going to buy that, which, and by the way, if it, bucket of cheese balls is $20 and I've really lost track of what I, things cost because there's no way I'm spending 20 bucks in a bucket. It's a five balls. gallon bucket. Inflation has really gone crazy because there's yeah. no way that's 20 bucks. Yeah. Um, but that no. might help people get out of those patterns. Like, Oh, yeah. I'm working towards something. No, I'm not yeah. going to buy that because I'm working towards something. And not a lot of people have defined that. So, uh, Alyssa, you're, you're exactly right, and and I was I was remiss in not saying that as really number one, to to resolve I think the whole budget conundrum. Number one, let's not call it a budget; let's just call it money management. Okay, it's, yeah. it's simpler that way. So, to resolve that whole thing, I think the solution is for someone to have in their heart truly something they want, something they need, something they really need—a goal. Goal. They set mm-hmm. a. And that's what frames and helps get them through the drudgery of doing the budget. If the goal is fixed in their head and they can envision the end result, and let's just say it, and it's even greater if it's like for their kids or something, or for mm-hmm. something they care about, I need to get some money to help my, my, my kid get something like, a, let's say, an education. So I need, I need $10,000 to help make that happen. Then, then what gets you through day to day, week to week, month to month is your understanding that that's something that's really important to me. So you hopefully are keeping that close to your heart and your mind. Then the day to day, you will have a higher likelihood of doing the mechanics, the mechanics of the money management, which includes recording what you spend, knowing what you make. Some of these things aren't necessarily boring. They're just keeping a record. 
Yeah. And you have a better control over what you end up with each month and then what you do with it. Mm-hmm. Killer of all this is spontaneity. That's where I was mm. using the baseball example. Spontaneity of you walking out the door and going into a store, clothes, food, jewelry, and buying something on the spot without having thought it through, that's the biggest right there. That's the challenge. Most of the people I work with don't do that. They think short-term today. What do I need today? Mm -hmm. Thinking, what do I need next month, next year? What do I need in five years? Mm -hmm. If I could just jump in real quick. Yeah. There, you know, just speaking to the psychology of money, there is, you know, in, in our business, there is a, a subset of financial planners who who does work on money psychology, right? I mean, I think it's probably it's it's probably fairly niche because you're talking, you know, with a financial planner, you're talking about someone who both has money but also then uh, is not great with money in some way. So just mm-hmm. to, just to speak, you know, to the difficulty of it. Um, you know, the process and we're certainly not experts. We wouldn't describe ourselves as such, but it's very similar to, to, it sounds very similar to visiting with a, with a psychiatrist or something like that. You know, you you sort of get deep into your money past and try to figure out why you're behaving the way you are. So I just wanted to kind of acknowledge that it's, it's a, it can be a serious problem how, you know, your, your, the psychology of money and people who are, who are misspending or overspending for some reason, there's a lot that goes into it and it's not, it's, it's not an easy fix. I, I guess we should, yeah. I would start by saying that it's, it's, they're, mm-hmm. they're serious problems and it might be the kind of thing that you might work with somebody else on just to try to get through it and figure out why you're, why you're behaving the way that you are. Right. Yeah. And, and, but I could just add one thing on top of that. Mm-hmm. Just that's this by, by no means am I suggesting that we go backwards and try to figure out as, as a psychiatrist yeah. and uncover. Yeah deep rooted uh, issues with money as a child, they were run over by a money truck or something. That's not, that's not what, that's not what we're doing. My goal is simply from where you are today, when you walk in my office to future. Uh, And so in one sense, in one sense, I kind of don't care where you've come from. I'm trying to help you develop new thoughts, new habits. That's the key, new habits new ways of dealing with money, working with money, so that you begin to slowly but surely start to think differently about money, manage it differently, start to put it away in a new way, start to not think of money as evil or bad, whatever you might have heard or told when you were a kid. Money is not evil. It's the use of money can be used for evil purposes, but recognize that money is an enabler for you to live. So let's put the positive spin on it. And the more that you are in control of it, the more you can make more choices. And I'm about choices and and opportunities. And unless you, if you make 5,000 and spend 5,000, if you make 50,000 and spend 50,000, you're still no better off. Mm -hmm. The gap, it's the difference. I make 5,000, but I spend four. Great. I can do something discretionary with the thousand. That's the opening of light. That's light that I can begin to now make good choices on. I would start with an emergency fund because it's a catch-all. But over time, that fund can develop into part is for emergency because there are always going to be some, but part is for that goal that my heart is set on. Those keep you moving. Those keep you contributing to it. I can think of um, two, two 
clients that I just want to share a little bit about. One um, client, it's actually a couple. I met them several years ago, youngish couple that um, inherited some money. And they, you know, we sat down and had this conversation about goals and stuff like that. And they were very open about the fact that money has never been important to them. Money doesn't motivate them. That's not the way they live their lives for a variety of reasons in their past and things like that. Um, and, and they, these particular people have some very, um, they have charitable intentions, right? They, they want for a variety of reasons, want to help others in, in certain areas. And, um, you know, they, they, they want to live a certain life and do certain things, uh, with their life. But it was interesting because while they're not motivated by money, they, they came into this relatively pretty large sum of money. But they and they knew they needed it to live that sort of life. They they knew that they, I, I don't know that they maybe combination they they couldn't really think of much to spend it on. They didn't want to spend it right because that's just not the type of people that they were that they are. But they also recognized like we want to live a certain life and and but in um, I, I don't want to use the word idealistic, but they, they wanted to live a certain life and do things with their life that maybe didn't translate to making much money. And they recognized that they needed this sum of money or they would need it in the future to live that life. Do you know what I mean? Like they weren't motivated by money, but they knew that they needed this and they, and they, they were going to need it later on in life. Do you know what I mean? I think that was just kind of interesting. Yeah. There's a lot of people that aren't motivated by money, but in reality, you need to have a place to live. And, you know, these partic- this particular couple has kids, you know, that they need to feed their kids. They, they, their yeah. kids might go to college one day or need some sort of mm-hmm. training or education. Right. And so they, they recognize the reality of mm-hmm. the situation living where we live in the world. And that even if they're not super motivated by money, you, j- you need it, you need some of it. Right? Well, well, you do, but what, you know what I think in that situation too, that reminds me and one of my other heroes in life, beyond Trent Ham is Stephen Covey. And one of the things he says is you can't have the fruits without the roots. And <laughs> what I say in that, because somebody inherits money in that situation and they've never themselves learned what it means to do the sweat equity to mm-hmm. make the money. Mm-hmm. What is to work, to invest yourself, to, to, to do that work, to do that. Then there's a different attitude. I think they have toward money on the, uh, on that end. Sure. You have to have known what it means to, to work for it. And I think you have a greater appreciation for it when yeah. you, and you may have missed out on understanding its origin and how it gets here. You, you can't just continue to have, you know, money handed to you and then really understand the process of where it comes from. So another quote that he gives and kind of falls in here, I love, which is back to habits. They don't have the habits. So here's what he quotes again. Habit is the intersection of knowledge, skill, and desire. So you begin to build the habits and a lot of that's back to me in my world. I can educate people, give them knowledge. I can help them show them how to fill out a budget sheet. But if they're missing that third element, the motivation, a lot of folks, for whatever that is, that helps drive them to do the daily recording, working, management of their money, they're missing out. And, mm. and folks, even to this point, I'll just share one quick story, even to the point, and I got exasperated at one point for a low-income fo- uh, folks I was working with in a housing situation in Atlanta. 
I said to them to this on the phone, I said, look, I'm passing out budget sheets to the 20 people on the line here. If you just return it to me with just scribbles on it, just return it to me, I will pay 50 bucks to the first two that return it to me. 20, only one returned it. Now, I was giving them free money. There's something going on here. Mm, interesting. Some, yeah. Something in there that confidence, belief, um, uh, the value or uh, something. And that, you know, people have to be engaged. That's the bottom. Yeah. We, we have engaged, to, I can't make you engaged. Yeah. We, we have to take a break in a minute. But one last story, client story that I would share on yeah. this note, I think, is one of my favorite clients is a young gentleman. He's about, he's in his early forties and he just approached, he doesn't have kids. So it's a little bit easier for him to save money, but he, he just has the best approach to, uh, achieving goals and saving. Like he, he doesn't make a ton of money, but he Mm -hmm. makes good money. And again, he doesn't have kids. So they're not the expenses associated with that, but he lives on a, just a very small fraction of what he earns Mm -hmm. Because he sets his goals first and he does whatever he needs to do to hit his savings targets. Sometimes he has side hustles or he sells things that he owns. He does whatever he needs to do to hit those goals because he wants to retire early and he just, he makes it work. He he like lives his life based on hitting that goal and it's always yes. top of mind for him and he's he'll, he will be so successful because of it Absolutely. Um, and he's not like a super high income earner he just makes it work because he's motivated so that's a huge part of it all right we do need to take a break um you're listening to mcnamara on money i'm Alyssa mcnamara reed joined this morning by my brother and business partner justin mcnamara you can check us out at mcnamarafinancial.com or mcnamara of the merrimack.com mm-hmm. 